are listening to Stories from Palestine podcast, a podcast recorded in Palestine and about Palestine. My name is Crystal. I am originally from the Netherlands and I am married to a Palestinian. We live in Beit Safafa between Jerusalem and Bethlehem and we run Singer Cafe and Al Chisar Bar in Beit Sahur. Before moving to Palestine in 2013, I worked as a teacher and tour guide in the Netherlands. I have a degree in history and in tour guiding and many years of tour guiding experience. Due to the COVID pandemic, tourism in Palestine came to a complete halt and that's why I started Stories from Palestine podcast in August 2020. This is the second year of the podcast with every week on Monday a new episode about the history and heritage of Palestine as well as the reality of life today. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. This is the last episode in a series of four episodes on different artisans in Palestine. If you haven't heard the previous episodes yet, then I invite you to do so. I am making these episodes to support Handmade Palestine, the initiative that gives you the opportunity to buy some beautiful handmade artisan products directly from the local producers. And this month they have a crowdfunding campaign for their marketing work and it would be amazing if you paused the episode now and go to the show notes of this episode and click on the link of their website to make a donation from the heart to these wonderful people. They do not only help 25 artisans and cooperatives to make an income for their families, but they also plant trees in Palestine. So do it now and I will wait. Did you do it? Not yet? Yalla, do it! All these small donations together can make a big difference for them. Did you do it? Yes. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you very much. And now you can listen to this episode in which we feature the Nabalsi soap factory in Nablus, the ceramics center in Nasjebel, and the wool felting project at the Bedouin community in the Khan al-Akhmar area. We start in Nablus, where I visited Amjad at the soap factory. We are in Nablus, in the old city, and we just walked through part of the old city and came to one of the several olive soap factories that are present in the old city of Nablus. And I'm sitting here with Amjad, and he is a very qualified soap maker who has a family business here in the old city. And this family business is also supported by Handmade Palestine. And I would love to hear from you a little bit more about the history, the family history of this factory. And after that, we will also talk about olive soap because it's very Palestinian. I mean, it's from, it, the whole region here makes soap, but Palestinian and especially Nabulsi soap from Nablus is very famous and uh, we need to know a little bit about how the process is of making that so but first can you introduce yourself and your family and family business 
So first of all, coming you here, I'm, uh, I'm Amjad Nabulsi, one of the owners of the soap factories. This kind of business is a family business. That means it's related to the most famous and biggest families in this city. My family is one of these families. The soap factory building is about 850 years and was established as a soap factory. And still working till our recent time as a soap factory without stopping or even changing the domain of business. And we are here, the fifth generation who's still involved in this domain. The building is beautiful. It has a lot of vaults. It's a typical building that you see here in Nablus in the old city. And it's been a soap factory all the time, you say. So... Can you say something about the history of soap making in Nablus? You know, in the past, in Nablus City, there were about 43 soap factories, and they are belong to nine families. And, you know, this kind of uh, business is a family business in two scales, the ownership and the manufacturing. So this is the thing which gives the soap manufacturing this heritage along a long time. And, you know, uh, because the region here is so famous with olive trees and uh, olive oil as a result of that. So this gives the, this, the Nabulsi soap its privilege along the years. So what can you tell us about the soap itself? Like, I guess that for many of us listeners, we have no clue how soap is being made. Besides the olive oil, what do you need to make soap? Yeah, and, and, and of course, and the traditional Nablusi soap, the soap that produced in Nablus and from the Palestinian edible version olive oil. And in order to saponify the oil, you need material. In the past, they were used al-qili or ashih. It's a plant. We got the roots, drying the roots, and after that, smashing it. And when you add water to this uh, roots, the pH will raise up in a big scale. So they add the water of this uh, roots to the soap, step by step with mixing and making fire. After seven days of process on the old method, you have a ready neutral soap. And after that, they pick up the soap from floor flat where they producing the soap into the second flat. In Arabic, we name it al-mafrash, where they spread the soap uh, on the floor using simple tools to adjust weight, length, and height of the piece, but we can only adjust the height while we are spreading the soap on the floor because the soap looks like a light paste. And after that, leaving the soap from three hours up to six hours, the soap becomes hard. The workers return back, peeling the surface, lining down the edges, stamping it in wooden uh, stamps with the, with a copper face, engraved negatively with our logo. Each soap factory has its own trademarks or logos working with. And after that, cutting it into small bars and build it in big rounded towers. In Arabic, we say tanur. For drying, drying the soap takes from about eight weeks up to 12 weeks, depend on two major factors. The humidity degree in the area around and the cube of the small bars of soap. Yeah, and if I look around me here, I don't see, or at least I don't recognize any modern machinery. What is it that you use here? Is the are these really still very old techniques? You know, the first flat or the entrance. Okay, this is the structure of the soap factory. When you get in from the big door, you will find the old method, which is a big a stone container with a copper bottom in order to transmit the heat easily in between the fireside and the content and the chimney inside the big wall until reach the fourth flat upstairs. 
Of course, we were uh, steering the ingredients with big uh, wooden uh, tools. So there's no machinery inside. And still, for our recent time, we are now, instead of the stone container, we are using stainless steel, food-grade, isolated mixer, mechanical mixer, with fire, of course, from gas or electricity to heat up the, the mixture in order to have a high-quality product. You know, this is the idea now. You know, as a producer, it's my responsibility to look forward, raising up my techniques in order to have a high-quality product matching the the audience needs so this is the idea this is the development but it's still hand handmade this the, the rest of the process cutting stamping building the towers it's in the same uh, thing but you know the manufacturing process must to develop in order to raise up your standard to have a high quality product matching the audience and customers need and do you see over time also changes in the needs of the customer for soap And uh, did you develop any new products over time? You know, yes. We are still using the Palestinian edible virgin olive oil. We produce different types. We started with the classic one the from olive oil. And after that, we make the liquid soap as a development in order to use it on hair, on body, okay, for all purposes because it's a natural soap. And after that, we add the fresh goat milk to the soap because it's so rich with its natural uh, components. Later, after two, three years, we launch up before about one month, two months, okay, we launch up the camel uh, milk soap. You know, the development of this product, okay, find the new market scales, a new audience, It's a must to find the needs of the customers and in order to have very types or many types matching the, the, the needs of the audience. So this is the idea. Yeah. I'm very interested. From where do you get camel milk? Uh, from Janine. <laughs> yes, from Janine. And also in Jericho, there is another farm. But, you know, Janine is close to Nablus. We bring the milk from there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. I'd love to try some of that in the future. And so your market, where do you sell most of your soap? Is it local or do you also export? You know, thanks God, we are selling it uh, here locally and through internet with some of our friends like Hamid in Palestine and, uh, you know, exporting to Sweden, Austria, even to Germany and Italy newly. But, you know, in a small quantity, I believe that's a small market and admit that's a small market scale. But, you know, honestly, year by year, it will be bigger and bigger. Yeah. Just to export one piece, you know, it's a privilege for us. So this is that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I want to say to everybody who's listening to this podcast episode that if you are coming to Nablus in the future and visit, you should really come here because I think you can only really understand the love that is put into the soap when you have visited here and when you see how <laughs> Amjad is shining when he speaks about olive soap. It's a tradition that runs through the family. And I've just asked you before, but maybe you can tell the podcast listeners because, yeah, is this tradition going to continue in the next generation. Yes, inshallah, I hope uh, that it uh, will be, uh, you know, maybe maybe this job for my father is so easy to transfer it to us because there is no big difference in between my time and my father's time. But, you know, it's horrible duty on us now to transfer it to the second generation, to my son. Because, you know, honestly, there is a big difference in between. Okay, they need their properties similarly different than, my, than mine or than ours. So, you know, what you can do is just planting a value. And after that, waiting, asking God to give you the long lifetime <laughs> in order when they return back to, to, to see the result of your effort. But, you know, I believe, I believe, honestly, I believe in the, the new generation. So this is the reason why. Okay, it's a must to give them, you know, they 
playing space in order to develop because, you know, what match with our needs, not same as for them. So he can, he can understand his time more than me. So if he develops something, okay, it will not affect this product in a bad way. That's why what I believe that honestly, if you change the shape or change the method, it will not change the traditionality uh, values of this product, the soap, uh, the traditional level soap. But on other hand, it will open new market scale and new audience. But what affect this traditional product, the soap, in a bad way, if you change the raw materials that you are using or have low-grade raw materials, like now we are using sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide, KOH or NOH, so there's different grades, commercial or food or medical. So what you want to decide your product in this phase, it will be, uh, you will choose your raw material. So this is the idea. And honestly, it's must to have a strategy plan in order to for them to look forward to make it by their way of thinking, by their methodology. So this is uh, it's must to have a new all the time. So yes, I hope that it will match. Yeah. It's a challenge. It's yeah. a challenge. Inshallah, <laughs> but inshallah. I have a belief. I yeah. have a belief and faith. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my my last question before we drink the uh, Arabic coffee you just made for me on the fire here is uh, what? How can you explain to people what are the benefits of using olive soap? Why would you use olive soap rather than any other soap? You know, I, I will I will tell you something. This soap, you know, is the scale of uh, civilization. So you have soap in different places in the whole world. Not Nablus is the only city in the entire world who produces soap. No, 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 no. But, you know, here, Bilad Sham, Palestine, has a huge amount of, uh, of olive oil. So it's mass production. So you can produce soap from it. From it. Because, you know, the, you have... A huge amount. I will tell you something that the olive oil is so rich with its natural characteristics. The fatty acid chain, which gives the skin good appearance and uh, touch, vitamin E antioxidant agent, which is, you know, helping the skin healing their wound tissues. So peeling sometimes, uh, okay, you can use it as a peeler. The natural glycerine also smoothing the skin, the minerals inside. Now it's improved. In the fresh goat milk soap, because it's concentrated more than in the milk. So this is the second thing. The third one, camel soap, because the camel milk soap is anti-inflammatory, antiseptic. And add to it, it's so, it's so rich with vitamin C and calcium. So it will work on the collagen and depth the skin. So this is the advantages. So all the time you want to use any kind of materials, it's a must to have a benefit. But the olive oil, honestly, is in the past was a huge amount and it's the bitter fat that you can produce soap from. And of course, there is various types of, of oil who has special benefits. It goes with some amounts. Like I will say, tell you something, like Aleppo soap. It's from olive oil and laurel oil because also the place there is so famous with laurel uh, trees and laurel oil. So this is the idea. And also the, the olive uh, oil, this fatty acid chain is so hard. So you have high quality hard soap, not same as the other fats. It will be smooth or something like that. So this is that. Yeah, yeah beautiful. 
Yeah, and I say I will tell the podcast listeners who can't see you. I think you've been using olive soap all your life, and your age, you is completely hidden behind no no wrinkles in your face, very yes, very you. good shiny face. Thank so you. I think you are the best uh, marketing product of uh, your company here because you can see the effect live. Yeah, you know I will tell you something. All the time at the beginning, I do not expect the question. Do you use your soap? Uh, what, what's that question? Yes, of course, indeed. But, you know, after that, I believe that they all, all the people, wow, you have a nice skin. You're Asian, your skin and your face, wow. So this is the idea. At that, I realize why they ask this question. But, you know, honestly, honestly, I will tell you something. Maybe I do not feel the feelings of the users, when they, the feedback of the, my customers, okay, more than I expect. Okay, I use this soap, but I don't feel the same thing that they... Maybe because I, I, I used to. Maybe because they they use a different kind of soap. I mean, they use our soaps, so they, they, they will feel the difference. Honestly, I believe in them and believe in, in them as a judge. And uh, yes, yeah. I respect that. <laughs> they, are, they are judged better than me. You know, honestly, you cannot judge at your uh, thing. The people can judge you better than uh, yourself. So yeah. this is that, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I really no, appreciate it. I want everybody who comes to Nablus to come and visit you. So I will post in the show notes of this podcast a link to how to get to your spot here in Nablus. And uh, of course, there is the link to Handmade Palestine where you can order the soap. And now we're going to drink Arabic coffee, right? Yes, you are. <laughs> Welcome. And I will promise you within one month or one month and a half, there's a new thing, which is the Dead Sea Mud Soap and Dead Sea Minerals. Inshallah, you will uh, love it. You yes. are welcome. God bless you. And we will drink our coffee. Yes. yes you are <laughs> Thank you God so bless. much. Thank you. <laughs> For the next part of this podcast, I had help from Morgan, whom you've heard in previous episodes. And she is part of the founding team of Handmade Palestine. She went to visit the Ceramics Center in Nosfjebel and the wool felting project in Khan al-Ahmar. And she did some short interviews with the ladies there. And thanks to Dina for the translation of the Arabic interviews to English. This is Morgan from Handmade Palestine, and I am in the ceramic workshop for the women of Nusfa Jabil. And it's funny, I have been buying from these women from one of the original women who works here, Rueda. I've been buying from her for years. We invited her to one of our bazaars that we were hosting in Ramallah, and we introduced her to other people who were also selling handicrafts. And from there, they kind of started to build and be able to increase their outreach. And eventually they grew from, they started as three women working here, then they went down to two women. And then today, there are five women. Now, in a town of 500 people, employing five women who don't have any other opportunity for income generation is pretty magnificent. And they're hoping to continue growing and be able to train and employ more women in their very amazing, humble workshop, which is situated inside an old house that is over 100 years old with arched walls and an arched roof, and it's just gorgeous. It is such a beautiful space, and their craft has also really developed over the years. One of the things, the first time I interviewed Rueda, one of the things that Rueda said to me was that it was really empowering to have an idea for a design and to be able to create that, and then for people to love that design and buy it. And 
Right now, walking through their workshop with a little showroom, one of the things that I see covering a shelf is that original design that she first brought to sell, which is a soap dish that's two pieces that fit together. And it's so spectacular to see that that's continued to be one of their ceramic pieces that they make and sell and that it was her idea. And she's come up with so many other great ideas and designs, and the work has really become something more sophisticated and classy. I'm really excited to be able to expand what we sell from them because it's always just been some little bowls and meze plates. And now we're gonna start selling their magnets. They have a, a dish that holds zait on one side, olive oil, and za'atar on the other side, which is a powdery herb dip that you would put bread into the oil first and then into the za'atar mix and eat that. And it's so cool that we are also talking right now about how we could further support them by putting some of their larger items on our website. And, and then when those actually get orders, they would go to Nablus, the nearest major city, and they would ship them directly to the customer. I think it's really exciting to be able to come up with new ways of supporting artisans. And for my part, knowing that we were one of the first buyers for the ceramics from Nusfajbil, and that here a few years later, it has grown to have trained and employed five women, and that we're part of that story in our own little way. It's really rewarding to me. It's also really rewarding to me to meet these women today and to have them talking about what an amazing opportunity it is for them. None of them have ever had any job other than this. There was no work for them. And to be able to have a skilled craft now is something really beautiful. So I'm very proud that we support them and I'm very grateful to have had the chance to come up here today and do a little bit of shopping and a lot of talking over a glass of sugary Arabic tea. <laughs> I am Siham Awais, I'm 25 years old, and I studied tourism and antiquities. I've been working at the Nusfajbil Ceramic Center for almost two years. Before I started working here, I had a job in a travel agency office in Nablus City. But the job was very tiring and hard, and the pay was very low, especially that I'm a woman. So I decided to quit my job and start looking for a new one. While I was looking for a job, I decided to look for one that's comfortable and easily accessible by transportation. So when the ceramic center in my village advertised for a vacancy, I decided to try and apply, even though I didn't have an inclination towards art or drawing. I trained for three months and learned how to form the clay and draw. I was surprised that I learned how to draw well, even though I thought I didn't have the talent. The pieces that I made felt like they were part of me, like they are my accomplishment, and that's beautiful. That made me love my job more. We are five women working at the center. Some of us are single moms who have to provide for their families. I'm not married, but I help out my family with my salary and I support myself. This is great for a woman to be providing for herself while others who have families help their husbands and support their children. The center is at full capacity with five employees, but if our sales and demand increase, we will definitely grow and employ more women with the guidance and management of Mr. Osama Hamdan because there are so many women at the village who are in need for a job. Ceramic is not a new craft to Palestine, but the concept of the center and the employment of only women have made it special. Also, contrary to other ceramic manufacturers, everything we make is handcrafted and only by women. In Nusfajbil, there are no other job opportunities for women at all. 
And that is what makes us special. بالنسبة للفيل الجديد إنه يكون في شغل فاهمي علي إنه يكون في شغل أصلاً للنساء فهذا إشي كتير مميز. أنا رويدة جلال خليل من سكان قرية نصف جبيل اشتغلت بمركز السيراميك بال 2015 كانت فرصة حلوة بالنسبة لإلي لأنها أتاحت لي إني أظهر موهبتي اللي من زمان كنت حابة إني أشتغل عليها وأطورها. I am Rueda Jadal Khalil. I live in the village of Nisfajbil and I started working at the ceramic center in 2015. It was a nice opportunity for me to work there because it allowed me to show my talent which for a long time I have been meaning to work on and develop. Three women, including myself, originally started working in the ceramic center. Our work and the center developed year by year. And right now there are five of us and we aspire to keep growing and help the center to be more successful and have our products sell worldwide. Our products used to be sold only in Palestine until a year ago. We started exporting to other countries like the United States, France, Italy and some Arab cities like Dubai. This only means that our products are very nice and there's a high demand and that makes me happy. Just like my other co-workers, we all love working here. And we want to keep working on developing and enhancing our products to excellence. I am very happy with my job, my co-workers, and the entire center. Our products are limited to kitchen appliances, like cups, dishes in all sizes, kettles, a double plate for Zaytan Zatar. We recently started making samples for soap bottles and displayed them, and there was a lot of demand. So we started making them more. We have a wide collection of items with unique and different art and drawings to please all types of customers. I would also like to add another positive point that this job was a great opportunity presented to my co-workers and I because we live in a small village where we didn't have other job opportunities. Nusfajbil has been one of my favorite Palestinian towns since the first time I came here maybe 10 years ago. It is nestled between hillsides, uh, hence the name, uh, Nusfajbil, in the middle of the mountain, uh, in the middle of the mountains. And it was originally a Christian town and it has a church that's renovated, been renovated by um, Basim and Munan Hishmay, right in the center of town. It is the most quaint and wonderful village, especially in the spring when it's lush and green. Many of the old buildings have been restored over the last maybe five, ten years. And you can find a guest house as well as the women's ceramic center. It's just a really special place. And visiting the ceramic center today has been a really amazing opportunity, especially just sitting and drinking tea and talking with these women about what it means for them to have such an opportunity in their village to generate income and to have their work seen and appreciated. That was the Ceramic Center in Nusfjbel. I will post a link to their website and their Facebook page in the show notes. And of course, you can order their products through handmadepalestine.com. And finally, now you can listen to a short interview with Imraed from the Bedouin community in Khan el-Ahmar. And Khan el-Ahmar is situated between Jerusalem and Jericho. The name Khan al-Ahmar means literally the Red Caravanserai. This was the location of a rest place for travelers and merchants on the main road from west to east, or from east to west. It was also one of the first locations where in the early 5th century, 
the locally famous monk Euthemius set up one of the first Lauras. That was a place where hermits could spend weekdays in their caves and then the weekends together in a monastery. Later, the Mamluks built in this area in the 13th century a Khan for the travelers and they named it Khan al-Ahmar. Ahmar means red because of the color of the limestone in this area that is quite red due to the iron oxides. Now, since 1948, a large number of Bedouin tribes that had to flee from the Israeli violence moved into the West Bank and they are now no longer able to live the Bedouin lifestyle they were used to. That lifestyle is mainly focused on grazing flock and producing and selling dairy products and selling livestock. And they have nowhere to go anymore now with their flocks. They are cut off in their freedom of movement by the settlements that surround them, by the highways, the bypass roads that have been built. And they are living, of course, in the rural areas. And all of those are under full Israeli military control. Even though they are in the West Bank, they are the so-called Areas C under the Oslo Agreement. And they are under military control, which means the people are not even allowed to build anything without permission from the army. The Bedouin community in Khan al-Ahmar consists of about 200 people and almost half of them are children. They do not get running water, they do not have electricity and even though they asked to be connected and there are water pipes and electricity lines that go to the nearby settlement, they are not allowed to use the water and the electricity, and they are not even allowed to build anything. So for the school for the children, they had support from an Italian NGO that created a school out of old car tires and mud. But the Bedouin community here is under direct threat of eviction by the Israeli government because of a plan for this area called the E1 plan that will connect Jerusalem to the Dead Sea through a large number of Israeli settlements and full Israeli control over the land. In the past, I have visited this community a few times. They live in tents and in makeshift houses under very, very poor conditions. And uh, the community leader, Ija Halin, he told us that they had invited the settlers from a nearby settlement to come and see how they lived. And they showed them around. They offered them great Bedouin hospitality, tea and food and coffee. And they showed them the school. And the settlers said that, oh, you did a great job on the school. But a few days later... They received a notice that their school was now considered to be a threat to the security of the settlement and that the school had to be removed. And the Israeli court in 2018 gave the go-ahead for the demolition of the Khan al-Ahmar community and the school. And the plans have not been carried out yet because of the ongoing problems with forming a government and several Israeli elections. So the Bedouins are still waiting to see what the Israeli authorities will decide about their fate. You can now listen to Imraed, who is involved in the wool felting project in Khan al-Ahmar. 
هذا الصوف من احنا بناخذه من الغنم نشتريه من الناس بنغسله بننظفه بنشتغل فيه يعني بننظف على الماكنه بالضبط بنشتغل فيه يعني ثلاث ساعات مرات بيقعد معك القطعه We buy the sheep wool and we wash and clean it well. Sometimes it takes three hours to clean one piece and process it through the machines. Some days we only prepare one piece or two pieces, depending on the person working on them. I've been working with wool since 2017. Before COVID, we used to work very well. We used to get a lot of buyers at the store, and there were a lot of orders for our products. After the pandemic, the demand decreased, and we don't sell as much. especially that there are no tourists to buy our products. Sometimes we have one order per month and other times no orders all month. Us women who work here don't have any other opportunities for work, so we can't do anything else while this work is slow. Our traditions and culture limit us and we can't go work in cities. So we buy the wool, the threads and needles from tailors, soap to wash the wool, and then we wash and prep it to look good. The needles alone are very expensive, and they cost us a lot. And right now, we can't afford to buy them. A pack of needles sometimes costs around 1,000 shekels. We hope that tourism will be back soon so we can get back to working like we used to. We used to sell in our shop to tourist groups, but most times our products are bought and distributed. Sometimes we prepare up to three or four orders per month. Right now, we don't get any visitors at all. Even the press that used to come report our stories and situations stopped coming. Life here is becoming more difficult every day. Everyone is in debt. People are selling their sheep. There are no places to feed them. And we can't afford to buy their food. Whoever used to have around 100 heads of sheep now has 10. We don't know how to manage. We hope that we will sell some of our products in the bazaar. There used to be nine of us working on this project. But the income from sales is not enough to pay all nine of us. We would spend all day every day here and sometimes get paid around 100 shekels a month. So many left. And now there are only four of us. And whatever income we get from our monthly sales, we split between the four of us. Sometimes it's 50 or 100 shekels a month. But all we can say is thank God and at least we are trying and we have something to work on. بنقول نعم الحمد لله في يعني حاسين حالنا بنسوي شيء في شيء بنسوي This was the last episode in the series of four episodes about Palestinian artisans and the work of Handmade Palestine. Please go to the show notes, click on the link of handmadepalestine.com, visit their website, see the products and order your Christmas presents now so that you have them at home before the holidays start. You can also make a donation to their crowdfunding campaign that is very much appreciated so that they can do more marketing and therefore sell more products in the future. Thank you for listening to Stories from Palestine. If you enjoy the podcast, then here are several things you can do to support the show. Tell your friends about the podcast. Share some of the social media posts on Instagram or Facebook. Start following the YouTube channel. You can also hear the podcast audio there. And soon I will start uploading videos. Sign up for the email list so that you get a reminder with a clickable link to the new podcast episode. And in the future, you will be updated about programs and trips that I will start to organize. And of course, you can donate to help me 
pay for hosting the podcast and the website and all the related recording costs. It's the only source of income I have at the moment, so you can imagine how much I appreciate every cup of coffee or falafel sandwich that you buy me on the coffee platform. All the links that you need can be found in the show notes and on the website storiesfrompalestine.info. That's it. I hope you will tune in again next week. <laughs>